Okay, I'm glad you're here. Let's jump in. Um, today is one of the great days of the year. It's Lagba Omer. And um, it's coming at this intersection between Pesach and Shavuos. And uh, it's coming after Pesach Sheni. Um, so I just want to try to discuss what it is. It's, it's really, it's the capital of secrets of the year. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing day. Um, we know that the uh, students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying this day, so there's a, like a giant shift in the energy that's taking place now. Also, we know that it's coming in the 40-day, 49-day um, count of the Omer. It's coming right at that critical juncture of 32 plus 17, which adds up to 49. 32, of course, is, is the gematria of Lev, heart, and 17 is Tov. So it's spelling out this, this, this juncture of, of a good heart. And we know from Pirkei Avos that all the blessings are contained within a good heart. So as soon as we make that vessel of a good heart, we're able to basically solve all the problems and reach to the highest places, which is this path that we're heading toward now, which is Shavuos, which is the receiving of the Torah. So we also know that this is the side of Rabbi Shemin Bar Yochai, who is the author of the Zohar, which is basically the repository of all the secrets and inner dimensions of the Torah. And so all these things are coming together. And in addition to that, it's also the week of Hod. Um, Hod is one of the ten Sfirot. And we'll see from the Ma'or Shemesh, kind of like an x-ray of the energy of what's going on right now in terms of understanding what, 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 the, what it means, Hod. Um, in terms of the context of, of everything we're discussing. So, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, uh, one of these just majestic, almost haunting thoughts, he said that there's two types of secrets. There's the type of secret where I tell you, and then you know, and then there's the type of secret where I tell you, and then you still don't know. Right? He said that's a real secret. And... That's the secret that, that God made the universe with. You know, we can study it, and we can learn it, and we can understand aspects of it, and yet, it never stops being a secret. Our lives, on the deepest level, never stop being a secret. And so, so we're kind of celebrating, kind of like knowing, and simultaneously not knowing. And, and the two of them working together, as opposed to being uh, in... Um, in contradiction of each other. You see, sometimes not knowing can make you closer. Um, sometimes not knowing is just utter frustration. But sometimes not knowing is really the essence of humility, which then becomes a vessel for holding even higher levels. So, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So, you know, there's so much to discuss. Let's just, we got to jump into various points. So, I want to tell you what the Ma'or Shemesh says about this idea of the week of Hod, because it's, it's, uh, it's kind of an exciting thought. So, so basically, it goes like this. I'm going to map it out with my hands. So if you, if, you, if you can't follow the words and the concepts, you can watch my hands. And those of you who are just listening, uh, just imagine basically uh, a top to bottom kind of thing, because we're going to build from the top down to the bottom. Okay. So, all the way at the top, this is the dimension of chesed, okay? And that means kindness. And above, above chesed, 
is basically, as the Ma'or Veshemesh explains it, he calls it, it's, it's called Bina, but that's already getting a little technical. The main thing is, is that it's the root of sweetness. Okay, so you have the root of sweetness, and then underneath that you have Chesed. And then after Chesed, below Chesed, you have Gvor. And below Gvora, you have Teferet. And below Teferet, you have Netzach. And below Netzach, you have Hod. Okay, so now Hod is basically all the way at the bottom. All right, now we've got two more after Hod, but those are exceptions. Because underneath Hod is Yesod, but Yesod is already collecting all the ones above it and binding them together. And then beneath that you have Malchus. And Malchus is also binding everything together above that. So the last free agent, so to speak, which is the furthest away from the root of sweetness, is this sphera of Hod. Is that clear? It's the furthest away before everything starts getting bundled up and sort of, so to speak, returned back up to the root. So isn't it interesting that, that Lagba Omer is coming in the week of Hod? Not only that, but it's even more wild than that because every, every sphere a day has a subdivision in it and the subdivision of it of, of this day is, is also Hod. So today is Hod Sheba Hod, which means that today is the furthest away from the root of sweetness. Now, what's so exciting about that is that here you see that, as the Meor Vashemesh explains, so therefore Hod is a week of Din, because it's the furthest away from, from Bina, or this root of sweetness. Din means judgment. And yet you see that Hashem is coming to sweeten the din, sweeten the judgment. Because this day, which is Hod Sheba Hod, which should be, in a way, the worst day, is transformed into absolutely one of the best days. All right? Not only that, but there's another very exciting thing, which is the first day of Hod, which is when that distance really gets to its sort of like greatest uh, place from the root of sweetness, the first day of Hod, which is Chesed Sheba Hod, right, has a special name. It's called Pesach Sheni. It's an amazing thing. It's a whole new way of understanding, a whole new a way of understanding Pesach Sheni. Again, right at the root of Hod, which is this idea of like far distance, we're already sweetening it with Pesach Sheni. And what's Pesach Sheni? That's the capital of second chances, right? That's the opportunity to begin again. So again, you have the sweetening of the din. And the Mor Shemesh, you know, he, he explains at different times, um, as I'm going through the Sefer, of what sort of like our main job in this world is. And he says kind of different things along the way. But one of the things that he says is to sweeten the din. That to the extent that we can basically, um, through through connecting ourselves to God through connecting ourselves to each other with Torah and, 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 and Ava and, and Dveikaskeit and, and, and all, of the, all of the beautiful qualities, that this, this lessens the amount of judgment or harshness in the world and just brings up more light and more love into the world. And, and we can do this, okay? Now, I want to say that... Uh, I want to say that that just like, you see, a bris happens on the eighth day. And that means 
that, and it was designed this way by Hashem, that you can't reach the day of a person's bris unless they've gone through a Shabbos. Right? Because Shabbos is every seven days, and the bris is on the eighth day. So when, no, no matter what day of the week that you're born, you'll always have gone through a Shabbos before the eighth day, before the bris. And so in other words, this, this in itself is a whole topic of conversation. But basically, you have to experience Shabbos before you can go into the covenant. So I want to say that something very similar is happening with today, Lagba Omer. That a person has to go through Pesach Sheini before they can experience Lagba Omer. And I'll tell you what I mean by this. You see, like we were saying, Pesach Sheini, and just to give you just a quick background, just in case you're, you're not familiar with it, Pesach Sheini is this awesome, awesome day. And it's, it's, in, the, it's in the Torah itself. Um, and you can read about it. What happened was there, the, there were Jews who were assigned to carrying the, the bones of, of Yosef. And because they had contact with the dead through these bones, they weren't in a uh, ritually uh, pure state because of their contact with the dead in order to bring the Pesach offering, the, the Korban Pesach. And, you know, they could have said, okay, so we can't bring it, you know, no big deal. But they said the, 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 the epic opposite of that, which is like, what do you mean we can't bring the Korban Pesach? We want to do the mitzvah. We want to connect with you, God. We want to do everything. So they, they, they asked Moshe, and, and here you see just a beautiful example of Moshe's amazing relationship with God. Moshe says, you know, it's a great question. Let me ask God. And, he, and you see, so he just turns and he starts talking to God. And God answers him on the spot and says to them, now listen, before I tell you what the answer is, just think about what the alternatives could have been, right? One alternative could have been, hey, you know what? Yosef's so holy, this doesn't even count as contact with the dead, right? That was not the answer. It's, these are bones. <laughs> He's dead. This is, you know... This is contact with the dead. So that was not an answer that came down. Here's another answer that could have come down, which is that, um, you know what? Okay, you guys, you guys can do it. We're going to do, do a makeup day for you, right? Okay, that would have been, you know, that would have, I don't think anyone would have blinked an eye, uh, either of those two answers really, especially the second one. But what Hashem said was something absolutely amazing. He said, you know what? You're right. You can bring it. You can bring the offering, you know. Once you become ritually pure, which is going to be, for whatever reason, God picked a month period, a month from that date. And for all time throughout history, anyone who misses that opportunity has a second chance. Now, can you imagine the opening, the yearning, that these people had, and it's what even more phenomenal is that we don't even know their names, which is just telling us it could be you or me, right? We don't even know their names, but they drilled a hole through time and space and created this absolutely epic opportunity for everybody to have a second chance. So what does it mean to have a second chance? To have a second chance means that somehow something went wrong the first time. Right? So, again, I want to say that all of us have to go through Pesach Sheini before we can get to Lagba Omer. But 
but stay with me. So the idea is, you see, oddly, oddly, sometimes success can make someone very superficial. You know? Oddly. You would think that, you know, you would think that it wouldn't be the case. I'll tell you something. In my industry, there's a, a, a weird <clears throat> irregularity, which is it's very hard to find very pretty women who are funny. I'm talking about actresses. This is a known thing in Hollywood. And one of different theories are put forth. And one of them is that humor is sort of developed through kind of rejection. Like, you sort of, like, develop it as sort of like a, an interesting, you know, coping mechanism, you know? And, and so someone who's, like, you know, just a cover girl rarely has the word no ever said to her. And so that capacity to actually develop a, a really good sense of humor usually doesn't come along. This is one theory. As I say, you can take it or leave it. But... I'm just using it to illustrate this point that sometimes, oddly, great success doesn't necessarily come along with it and I, a, 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 the ability to sort of have this great depth as well because you're, you're just getting yeses all the time. Okay. So... So what happens? A person, a person has something in mind, and they want it, they want it, they want it. They grow up, that's just it. That's, that's what my life is. My life is going to be me getting X. And then let's say they don't get X. And you know what happens? They're still alive, and the world didn't explode. And then all of a sudden, it's sort of like our eyes get opened that there's more to life than what I thought there was just five minutes ago. I realized, wow, how could it be? Here I am, still standing and breathing, and the sun's still going up and still going down. That means, obviously, there's more to life than I thought there was when I was a little bit younger. You see, now that's Pesach Sheni, the idea of a second chance, the idea of going back into life and saying, wow, there's more to life than I initially realized. And now your heart is open for what? Lagba Omer, which is the secrets of the Torah. See, because you only get to the secrets when you have a degree of depth and you realize that it's not what I thought initially or maybe even the second time or maybe even the third time. I heard from Rabbi Green something, once very, something very, very powerful that stayed with me um, ever since. You see, you know, the ancients were very, very advanced in terms of astronomy. And in fact, the um, calculations that the Jewish sages made about the, about the stars from 2,000 years ago, you know, in terms of calculating when the new moons were, because you'd have to do that for, for, you know, to make the Jewish calendar, are to this day phenomenally, almost like spookily exact. Like, like people, you know, who look into this, it's not very well, very often discussed or anything like that. But if you look into it, you see, like, how did they possibly get such accurate measurements? And, you know, it was exceptional among the Jews, but among the other nations of the world, they also were very great with astronomy as well. 
So, so this was an early science that humanity was very, very ad advanced in from, from, from almost the beginning of time. Now, with that in mind, isn't it interesting that it looks like the sun revolves around the earth? <laughs> when we know today that the earth revolves around the sun. In other words, God constructed the world in many ways to be counterintuitive by design. To tell us that what we see with our eyes and what we can even really accurately even measure, which gives us even more confidence, isn't necessarily the ultimate reality. In fact, it could be the very opposite. And this is what we need Torah for. As we were discussing last week, something that I, I, I just love, this idea that it's possible to learn new incorrect things. <laughs> We, we tend to think that, you know, whenever I pick up a magazine, I'm now smarter, right? Whenever I click on this link, I am now smarter. Who says? You could be much dumber after having read that. <laughs> Who says? Right? So this is why we say Torah emet. This means the Torah of truth. Okay. So, Lagba Omer comes. And what does Lagbomer do? It reverses this energy of the students of Rabbi Akiva dying. You see, it's, it's that juncture between Lev and Tov, between 32 and the remaining 17. It's this big shift. Interestingly, whatever day of the week Purim falls out on, that same day of the week Lagbomer falls out on. So, for instance, this, this year, Purim was Motzei Shabbos. It happened after Shabbos. And you see, Lag Bomer also happened after Shabbos. And it's that way every single year. So, on a very deep level, there's a strong connection between Purim and Lag Bomer. And we know that Purim is a time where everything shifts and turns upside down. Whatever you expected, it turns out to be something else. And you see that shift in the energy of Lag Bomer as well in terms of the students of Rabbi Akiva dying, in terms of this becoming, going from a period of mourning to a period of great happiness, you see, again, by Lagba Omer, a shift in the energy here. Another connection, um, which is that by Lagba Omer you have fires, right? That's one of the ways we celebrate with big bonfires. And, um, you know, the I heard a Torah in the name of... Um, Dovelais uh, on Purim, which I just love so much, which is we know that the chief enemy of the Jewish people is Amalek. Haman is from the nation of Amalek, and and we the rabbis teach that that the the weapon of Amalek it has many weapons, but the primary weapon is to basically make us cold, which means to make us spiritually insensitive. And the way that you combat that is with fire, so to speak, with, with passion, right? And so if you take the name Yisrael, Israel in Hebrew, it has the two letters which spell fire in it, Aleph and Shin, spell Esh, spells fire. That's in the, the, the word Yisrael. Amazingly, if you take out 
those two letters. In other words, if you take out the fire from Israel, right, the remaining letters add up to the number Amalek. In other words, once you take out the fire, once you take out the fire, you have coldness. You know, I, I remember one time I, I was with Reb Eliachayim, um, Allah Shalom, Reb Shlomo's twin brother, and uh, I was leaving the mikveh, it was Erev Shabbos, and before I left, he said, David! And I turned around and he said, he looked at me and he said, whoever isn't rich in learning is poor in learning. And then he started laughing. <laughs> In other words, there are some things that are, it's either one or the other. <laughs> it's one or the other. You take out the fire from Israel, and you're, you have a Amalek. So, so, so a Torah from the Kutzka Rebbe, right? Who is, you know, his Torahs are known as fire. So he says like this, and this is from that great book, Hasidic Wisdom, by Simcha Raz, R-A-Z. Definitely recommend picking it up. And so the Kutzker Rebbe said like this, I'm going to do it is self-deception. I want to do it is weakness. I'm doing it. That's the right path. One more time. I'm going to do it that's self-deception. You're just lying to yourself. I want to do it. It's just weakness. I'm doing it. That's the right path. Right? That's fire. That's fire. So, so Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer. You see, the students of Rabbi Akiva, it says that they didn't give each other the proper covet, the proper, the proper respect. Because each one of them was very great in learning and, and, and felt that their understanding was the ultimate understanding. So how is it that the, that, that plague, which came from that sort of sensibility, ends on Lagba Omer? Because Lagba Omer, as we said, is the headquarter of secrets. See, what happens is when you exist in a world where you understand all that you don't know, then all of a sudden there's room for other people's opinions. Because what do we know? See, and then once you make room for another person's understanding, then all of a sudden there's peace. And that degree of peace is, is reflected in the fact that in Israel to this day, the largest gathering is Anlagba Omer. Everyone comes together. Everyone comes together as one. Everyone celebrates just just the fact that we're here. And that unity now begins to build the vessel for us to receive the Torah on Shavuos. So, I want to I say something. A new thought, for me anyway. Which is, there's an interesting halacha about counting the Omer. And... I, I never heard anyone really discuss this part of it necessarily, or maybe they did, but, but maybe this is a, a, a deeper answer perhaps. Why should it be if you miss a day, why should it be if you miss a day that you can't make a blessing when you count? 
right? Because everybody knows there's a blessing that you say between for counting the first day all the way to counting the 49th day. But if you forget one of the days counting, you're still supposed to count, but you can't make a blessing beforehand. And it seems like if you're, if you, you know, if you're really into the service of God, it seems to be like a harsh penalty. Sort of like, oh, I can't say the blessing. You know, it's like weeks of these blessings that I can't say. Like, why? Why? So I want to suggest an answer. And um, I'm sort of basing this a little bit on, on the Morva Shemesh, who pointed out something really wild and beautiful. Okay, let's just talk about Peus for a moment. You understand why in a moment? So Peus is is the hair that grows down from, you know, kind of like your temples, right? And, and it grows down and you can grow it as long as you like, right? As long as it goes over that, that, that first bone, that cheekbone, that first bone, then it's, it's okay. It's called payas. Um, so, so why can't you cut above that bone? Like, why, why, what, what's the idea? And, and this is for men, by the way, for, for whatever reason, this is something. There's certain things that, that women are kind of born with, you know, that they already, they don't... See, on some level, see, we have to be very careful as we understand the mitzvahs. On some level, the mitzvahs are fixings, are, 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 are tikkunim. And so, in this sort of like very um, egalitarian democratic society, we think, oh, the man gets it, but the woman doesn't get it. That, that's a slight against the women. But if you understand that on some level, on a very deep level, the mitzvahs are coming to fix our soul. If a woman doesn't need that mitzvah, that means that she doesn't need that fixing because she's created in a way that she wasn't vulnerable or damaged in that way to begin with. See, can you imagine, like, I take Lipitor for cholesterol. Can you imagine someone coming up to me, a woman coming up to me and saying, I want to take Lipitor. Why, why do you get to take a cholesterol problem drug and I don't get to take it? Right? That would be a little bit odd. Right? Like, thank God I don't have to take it. You know? I mean, we love the mitzvahs and we want to do the mitzvahs, but at the same time, we also have to understand that the mitzvahs are playing a role in terms of our soul rectification. Right? So, you know, just to just amplify the point for a moment, women don't have a bris in the way that a man has a bris, but they don't need that bris. And you see this actually in halacha itself, because the only person who's allowed to perform a bris milah is someone who has one. And a woman is allowed alpi halacha, according to Jewish law, to perform a circumcision. So you see that that when God created women and men both, that they have different spiritual constitutions and they need different different things to focus on. That's just that's just the reality. So so men have this idea of payas that you can't cut above this certain place. And Reb Shlomo said something so beautiful. He says, What's payas? He says, Payas is the connection between the mind and the heart. And you don't want to sever the connection between the mind and the heart. Right? So, obviously, that would mean by extension, women have a greater connection between their mind and their heart than men do. It just 
just comes to follow, right? So, so the mind and the heart have to be together, and this is one of the things that, that happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge, was basically the mind and the heart got separate. So we're, we're trying to get the two back together. Now listen to this. In Parshas Emor, which we just read, it lists the holidays. And it's just talking about the holidays. But all of a sudden, these halachas get thrown in, which are agricultural halachas, dealing with leaving the corners of your field intact. And you know what the corner of your field is called? That's called the mitzvah peah. It's the same word as peahs, basically. And you couldn't cut the peah. <laughs> you couldn't cut the corners of your fields because as strangers and impoverished people were traveling and walking down the field, they would always have something to eat as they reached one of the corners of your field. And it says, interestingly, that there was no maximum amount to leave. In other words, you had to leave some, but let's say you wanted to leave a lot. You could leave a lot. There was no problem. And interestingly, by payas, you know, you just have to have it over your bone, but you can also grow it, you can grow it down to your knees if you like. I saw at one time a guy with payas down to his knees. It was really like, wow. You know? So, so again, that's the connection. Now, where does the mitzvah of Peah come? So the mayor of Hashemesh points out it comes between this section in accounting for the holidays between Pesach and Shavuos. So now, isn't that interesting that we, we said that in the name of Rev Shlomo that, 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 that Peah is connecting the mind and the heart and you don't want to sever the connection. And where is it coming? Between Pesach and Shavuos, the mitzvah of Peah in the field just connected to payas, right? Because obviously, you don't want to sever the connection between Pesach and Shavuos. And now, I'd like to return back to the question. Why is it if you miss a day, why, why is it if you miss a day, you can't say the blessing and, and start counting? Because I think that you've severed the connection at that point. On some level, right? You can still count, you have to count. But the ideal performance of the mitzvah is that it's one continuum. In other words, you see, it's so easy to forget. And if you actually look at the great body of mitzvahs that we have in Torah, so many are designed for us to maintain this level of consciousness and focus and presence that we don't forget about God. As the Kutzker Rebbe said one time, God put forgetfulness into the world so that we could forget about the world. He said, and you use it to forget God? Right? So, so much of, so much of the Torah, so much of the practice of the Torah is to maintain this unbroken, uncut, recognition of, of Hashem. That's what we, we, the word that we use for that is called devekis, devekis kai, which is this idea of cleaving to God, right? The Rambam, who ironically is known as our great rationalist, right? The Rambam says that a person has to walk around lovesick with God, right? This is our rationalist. 
right? So, so that connection is, 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 is very, very primary. And so the ideal form then, you see, God performs all these miracles by Pesach. God shows that there is no construct really called nature. See, because when we think of nature, we think of somehow this separate power that's running the world. And then God might intervene, he may not intervene, he sort of handed it over to this, you know, bureaucrat called nature. And it's, it's, it, this is a very damaging uh, understanding of the world. Very damaging. There's a seamless continuity in terms of God's presence and control over all of, his, all of existence. And this is what God did with the ten plagues is he systematically broke down every concept that there was any other power other than him. Okay? Now you have to connect that and not forget, not cut your pants, <laughs> right? Now that you have to connect that straight to Mount Sinai. And I think this is the idea of not missing a day of the number. Because the two of these things have to be fused together, and it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. So, so I want to say something. I want to say something a little bit way out. It's a, it's a thought I had many, many years ago. And... Um, Anyway, I had the, the opportunity to tell it to Rabbi Shlomo at a Friday night dinner, and he, he liked it. So it says that before God created this world, he created and destroyed many worlds. It also says that God made this world out of the letters. It also says that God created the world for the sake of Israel. So with this in mind, I want to just sort of like suggest something which is that, isn't it interesting, or just a visualization, if you will, the very last word of the Torah, of the five books, right, which contains everything, the very last word of the Torah is Israel. And so I want to say that every single letter leading up to Israel, these were worlds that were created and destroyed. Leading up to Israel which is this world, which is the last word of the Torah. In other words, the Torah itself, which the Ramban says, is an entire sequence of divine names, right? That the entire Torah itself, as the Zohar says, is a blueprint of creation, is actually the tzimtzum process, the condensing of this divine light, every world, every letter, a world being created and destroyed until you get to the last word of the Torah, which is Israel, which is this world, that God created the world for the sake of Israel, right? And so this is the idea of Pesach to Shavuos, is that we're getting to this point of the giving of the Torah, right? Because it says, B'Reshis, Reshis is called Israel, but Reshis is also called the Torah. Right? For the purpose of the Torah, for the purpose of Israel, and Israel having the Torah, that's 
This is the point of creation. Okay. I want to talk about something. Just let's try to still go deeper. Okay? So so how are, to, how are we to understand what it means to have mitzvahs, to have the Torah, and everything like this? And you see, there's a story about the young Ger Rebbe, classic Hasidic story, where an older rabbi said to this young boy genius, I'll give you, you know, a kopeck or whatever the currency was, I'll give you a kopeck if you can tell me where God is. And he said back, this little boy says back to this big rabbi, I'll give you two kopecks if you can tell me where God isn't. Right? So I always loved that story. And you know that he got the better of the older rabbi. But I was trying to figure out exactly why. How, why is that such a better answer? And anyway, I thought about it. And let me just share this with you. You see, I think that what the older rabbi was asking for in terms of his answer was, I'll give you a kopeck if you can tell me where God is. I think he wanted the young boy to say God is everywhere. But he said something deeper. He says, there's no place where God isn't. (laughs) You see, the idea is if you say God is everywhere, what you're talking about at that point is the infinity of God. And the mind is finite. It can't grasp the infinity of God. So at a certain point, God then becomes an abstraction. And, 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 and that's exactly what we're fighting against in terms of our understanding of godliness and in terms of this concept of kite and just consciousness in general. We want to experience the reality of God's presence in front of us always. So what he said back to him was, I'll give you two kopecks if you can tell me where God isn't. Meaning to say, instead of trying to widen the mind to grasp everything. Instead, the mind becomes like a laser beam pointing at every single situation and showing, you know, I'll give you two kopecks if you can tell me where God isn't. Well, God is certainly here, and God is certainly here, and God is certainly here, and God is certainly here. In other words, it can tell you everywhere where God is, which is more um, an expression of God's presence as opposed to this abstract, infinite thing where you can kind of lose sight of the whole thing. Okay. So, so because the Torah is giving us this, this level of consciousness, of, um, because the Torah is giving us this level of consciousness of the presence of God in every single place, we can have a renewed appreciation of why there's so much halacha. See, a lot of people, they, they, they sort of, they, they go to a Shabbos table or they, they get inspired and everything like this. And, and then they find out, there's so much Jewish law, what are you doing to me? You're, you're, you're killing me, you know? Like, what is this, right? You know, are the rabbis control freaks? You know, they, they, people just, they, they hit this brick wall hard. But... But I think that it, this comes from a, a lack of understanding of what halacha is and what the mitzvahs are. You see, the idea is the following. Because God is absolutely everywhere, there's no such thing as a secular moment. Do you hear that? There's no such thing as a secular moment. It means that 
It means that wherever you go, whatever you do, you're standing before God. That means that even the most mundane things can be sanctified, can be elevated. So that's why we have stuff, and the Torah is showing us how to do that, how to sanctify and elevate every single moment, right? Even something that seems absolutely neutral, right? So, so, so for instance, it's, it's awesome, it's awesome that there's a way, a Torah way to put on your socks and shoes. Like, you see, if, if God is in fact absolutely everywhere, there has to be a way to put on your socks and shoes. There has to be a way. I need to know how to put on my socks and shoes. Do you understand? You see, this is a complete shift in understanding. Not like, now you're telling me how to put on my socks and shoes? No. Every moment I'm standing before God, how do I put on my socks and shoes in a holy way? So, so this, is, this, is, this is why there's so much halacha. Because God is showing us how to elevate the sparks at every single moment. Okay, by the way, in case you don't know, you put on your right sock and then your left sock, your right shoe and then your left shoe, and then you tie your left shoe, and then you tie your right shoe. I'll tell you something else along those lines. There's a way to wash yourself in the shower. I don't know if people know that there's an order to washing yourself in the shower. First you wash your head, then you wash your face, then you wash your heart, then you wash your right hand, your left hand, your right foot, your left foot, and then the rest of your body. Then there's no water after that. You hear that? Your head, your face, your heart, right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot, and then whatever you like. So, again, to me, and if you want a special kavana for washing your heart, you can say, V'tahir libenu bemis. Right? Please, God, purify my heart so I can serve you in truth. So, anyway. When you know, when you know that from the moment that you wake up to the moment that you go to sleep, from the moment that you're born to the moment that we leave this world, we're in this relationship with God. And you see, I would call it the following, the joy of obligation. The joy of obligation. See, because this means that at every single moment I'm needed for something. See, one of the great disasters that a person, one of the great traps that a person can fall into is this illusion of independence. And it's just like, it's just, it's me. It's just me and it's my life. And in my life, I'm imagining a God who I'm serving. No, no, no. <laughs> You're not imagining. You, objective reality, there's a God who we are serving. And we are in this obligated state from the moment of birth till the end. And this is a joy. Why? Because the reality of existence is we aren't independent. And even if you can imagine yourself living all by yourself on a desert island, you are, in you are in a relationship 
and you are not independent because you've got a, an intense relationship with the next meal that you have to catch. Whether that's going to be a fish or a lizard or some ants on the bark of a tree, you, you can be all by yourself and you are not independent. So independence is a total illusion. And we have a constant relationship with God. And we're actually needed for something. And one of the glories of understanding this is that it takes the spotlight off yourself. See, if a person just imagines they're in this independent state, there's a torchlight that they flash on themselves which causes you literally to cannibalize yourself. Because your consciousness is turned on yourself and it has no escape. You literally eat yourself alive. This is the reason why so many people fall into drug addiction and things like that in order to relieve and to escape this constant self-focus. They call it self-medication, right? To, to, to dull that constant focus on the self. But if you turn the torchlight onto God, which is the reality, which is that you're actually in a relationship, that there's actually something for you to do at all times, this is the joy of obligation. And who are you serving? You're serving the creator and the master of the entire universe. Can there be a greater honor than that? And it also means that wherever you go, whatever you do, you're never alone. You're never, ever, ever alone. And to cultivate that relationship. So it's not just that you understand that this is the, per- this is the one who's, who's giving me every breath. This is the one who's making my heart beat right now. This is the one who's allowing me to process all the stimulus so that I can see, so that I can hear, so that I can taste so that I can walk, so that I can feel. There's so much gratitude at all times that we can have to God. And to cultivate that relationship and turn that relationship into a love relationship. That's that's the essence. That's the essence. And then wherever you go, wherever you do, you're never alone. Because God at that point is not an abstraction. He's that palpable presence in your life always, under every circumstance. And as Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says, the way to achieve that state is by talking to God. You talk to God like he's your best friend. You talk to him in your car. You talk to him in your house. You talk to him when you wake up. You talk to him when you're walking down the street. You, you don't stop talking to God. Right? Today, God gave us an extra blessing that everyone will think that you're on Bluetooth. So, (laughs) they'll think that you're an important business person. (laughs) So, he's on the phone, that guy. He's kind of like, you know, all day meetings. Wow. Um, (laughs) Okay, so we'll we'll just wrap it up. Just understand that we're building torch for us. Right now, 
we've achieved this epic kind of shift toward the march toward Mount Sinai and the simcha, the joy, the love, the togetherness is creating that vessel to really hold the revelation of Torah and that we want Torah, we want God, we want to do for God because wherever we go, there He is.